0: Okay, come on. All right. Let's go into the Word. Uh, I'm preaching a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. So if you guys could turn there in your Bibles. Book of Ephesians, it's toward the end of the New Testament, right after Galatians and right before Philippians. Ephesians chapter 4. So to give you a brief background of this book, uh, it's written by Apostle Paul in AD 62, and it was written under the imprisonment of Roman Empire. So it's known that Apostle Paul was writing this in prison. to the believers in the church of Ephesus, right? And then also it's a well-known fact that this letter circulated in the minor Asia area. So all these new converts, all these new Christians got a hold of these letters and then now made it into the canon, into the Bible. And that's how we have uh, access to it, right? So that's the book of Ephesians. And then I'm going to preach from the first two verses. I know it's going to end a little awkwardly. I was going to... My plan was to preach from verses 1 to 16. However, <laughs> as I was doing more studies and I was doing worse studies, and I realized there's was just way too much to try to dissect at once, so I decided to cut it to the first two verses. So that's what you're going to get, and it will be wonderful. So... Chapters four, five, six, these two, I mean, three chapters talk about, these are Apostle Paul giving clear and specific instructions of way of Christian lifestyle. So if you read later on, it talks about how to worship and how to deal with your family, how to love and all these specific introductions follow, which I will cover in the future. But today I'm going to just talk about the beginning of that portion and how Apostle Paul is really exalting all these Exalt, giving the exaltation to the believers in the church of ephesus right let's read the first two verses together are you guys there yeah. oh, i'm not there yet mm-hmm. all right the first two verses we're reading from esv one two three go i therefore a prisoner for the lord Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Amen. Notice it ends with a comma, you know. but We just don't have enough time to go any further. But we're going to really jump into these two verses. Uh, verse 1, it says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Everyone say worthy. Everyone say Worthy of, the calling. worthy of the calling yeah worthy of the calling you know we use this phrase a lot in our prayers worthy of the name of christ worthy of the calling you know worthy of the gospel and then what we what do we mean by living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel right worthy of the calling so i really like how apostle paul uses to walk as a verb uh instead of to live You know, when the Bible, especially in these letters in the New Testament, when they say uh, to walk, you know, to walk in the spirit, to walk with Christ, you know, it basically means that you live with Christ, you live in the spirit, right? But instead of the generic verb to live, I really like the fact that he always chooses to use to to walk, because walk is something that you're on the move, you're going somewhere, and then... It's more active, you know. I, I feel like it just gets me to imagine me walking with Christ. You know, when we ask each other, how is your walk with the Lord? You know, if you really think about it, it's like taking a walk with Jesus, going somewhere with him. And I really like that. And it says to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And I need you guys to also notice that worthy of calling, the calling refers to god's sovereign call to salvation so it's not talking about our vocation not career but in paul's letters specifically when he says calling it means the call to be saved call to be in christ so therefore it talks about salvation i hope that you guys all have the free gift inside of you that you are all saved amen it's the best gift ever worthy of the calling So in other words, worthy of the salvation that you have received. And worthy here, it gets mistaken and misunderstood very often. But let me really clarify that worthy, this word has an idea of living to match one's position in Christ. I want you guys to focus on that word match, like match one's one's position in Christ. So what I mean by that is, so people think that because it says worthy of the gospel, worthy of the name of the Lord, we sometimes feel pressure. Oh, I got to be better. I got to try harder. I got to strive to really be worthy of the gospel. That's how people think. Have you guys ever thought of it that way? feel pressure under this, or I'm going to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. But what Apostle Paul is saying is not that at all. Let me paraphrase it with like a modern English, myung version. It's walk in a manner that matches who you are in Christ already. That's what Apostle Paul is trying to say. you are got to w- walk in a manner that matches who you are, who you, what your identity is already, because that's already been given to you. And then you gotta live according to that. You gotta walk according to that. Example will be, let me, who should I use? Think about like a pageant, okay? I'm gonna use Eunice. She's my fearless leader for Malaysia team. So I'm gonna use Eunice as an example. Let's say that Eunice, she now lives in Seoul, right? So let's say that she became a Miss soul Like a pageant world, right? Come on, Eunice. (laughs) Let's say that Eunice uh, ran for the pageant and then she became the Miss soul It's like this. It's telling her that you got to walk in a manner worthy of the crown on your head. Not telling her to get more beautiful. Not telling her to try harder to get prettier. But it's simply saying you are the beauty queen of soul. So you got to walk in a manner that's worthy of the crown on your head. It's saying that you have already the crown on you. So walk in that manner that matches the title and position that you already have. He's not telling us to try harder to get there, but you are who you are, so live accordingly. That's what Apostle Paul is saying to us. Paul is urging the readers of this book, this letter, to be everything the Lord desires them to be. Everything that Christ has made you into, you got to leave that out. He's saying that... Leave, um, he really, Paul is wanting and desiring these believers to be empowered to really walk it out. You know, we have be, we have become, oh my grammars, we have become who we are today through Christ. There were many changes. And I hope that meeting Christ and accepting him into your life has changed many things in your life. We gained freedom from shame. Shame to freedom, that's a huge transition. Sinners to saints, a huge transition. Slaves to sons, a huge transition. And all these things that Jesus accomplished through the gospel, that is who you are today and match your lifestyle to who you are. You are no longer a sinner. You are no longer a slave. Why are you living in a manner that doesn't match who you are? That's what he is saying. You know, when as I was reflecting upon this word, um, a lot of things came to my mind as well. Like, what changed as I became to know the Lord? All these things. And when I meet new people, oh, new people, don't be scared, please. Um, when I meet new people, the question that I like to ask them is, what's the most terrible thing you've ever done in your life? I like asking that question, right? <laughs> It's just fun. Like, people don't, don't look like they've done bad things, but some people, they really did, right? <laughs> and, uh, I think it's just, I don't know if they really got over the sin, if they're really free from the sin, they all have the boldness and joy to share the testimony with me. So I, I like asking the question, but I was asking myself, what is the worst thing I, I've ever done in my life? You know? I was a pretty good student. I never, I grew up in Korea, so I had never access to, like, drugs or really partying culture. It doesn't really exist in my life. I was a good student, good daughter. What's the worst thing I have ever done? And it just hit me, um, at one point that it was idolatry. It was idol worship that I had really a deep bondage in. And, uh, what I mean by that is, what, what did I worship? I worship literally idols. Like, K-pop celebrity idols. And, uh, some of you are chuckling, but I'm being dead serious right now, that that was a stronghold of my life. Started when I was age nine, uh, eight or nine. And I started with H.O.T. Some of you Koreans know H.O.T., uh, If you don't know any of these groups, you can just replace them with, like, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, you know, you Americans, you know them, right? Justin Bieber, whatever. But, like, all these boy groups, like, H.O.T. to Jack's Kiss to G.O.D. Even the name is heretical, right? G.O.D., small G.O.D. That's the group name. And I I love them. Like, G.O.D. to Dongbangshingi to all these groups. You all got to repent with me. (laughs) Anyways, I was so deeply into it that my life was just... All I thought of, of like for like a 10 years of my life, for that period of time, was just them. That was it. Like That was my life. The purpose of my life was that, you know? And you know how after I became a Christian, I learned the phrase that gaze upon the beauty of God, you know? We, we talk about looking at His beauty, gazing upon His beauty. And I know what it means to gaze upon the beauty because I've done that for 10 years. Like seriously, I recorded and videotaped all their TV shows, radio, I recorded every single thing. It's still all at home in Busan, down there. I gotta go burn them. But uh, I bought every single magazine that that featured them. I started stealing money because I couldn't afford all these magazines. I started stealing money from my mom and my dad to buy them. Like All my life was just around it, you know. And I religiously uh, followed every single thing on TV and it was, it was really ridiculous. I, you know those posters of celebrity posters that Korean girls collect? You know, I had a lot of them. So all of you are like nodding. I had them too. I had a lot of them. I posted them all over my room. Like, I had the biggest room in my apartment, in our parents' apartment, and then I posted them up on four walls and there wasn't enough space. So I ended up posting them on the ceilings right so there was not even an inch of empty space in my room like completely boxed in with those posters and then i will literally i will wake up and see their faces last thing i see before i fall asleep is their faces gazing upon their beauty you know what it means right but we got to do that to the lord but i was doing to the wrong object right i was literally worshiping them so bad right I skipped classes for that. I lied to my parents and my teachers. And all my my sins kind of revolved around that idol worship because they literally took over my life. And I remember, um, I shared that at Hillside, so i got to share that here too, to be fair. Um, I remember this one singer that I really liked in high school. He came on a radio show and he said, I really appreciate the fans that study hard in school and also like my music. When I heard it, I got an idea, right? I was like ding, ding, ding. Okay, that's what I gotta do. So I went to school, I studied really hard for the semester and I became the top student in the entire school. Like literally, right? And then I got the report card for that and then I, I ran to Seoul with it. Lied to my parents and I took the KTX train, came to Seoul and I showed it to the celebrity. <laughs> And I made him sign it for me, okay? Oh. And then he wrote, "Good job." <laughs> he wrote, "참 잘했어요" like in Korean. And that's how much I was into it. It's—I know it sounds silly and harmless, but guys, this is idol worship. That's what I did. I know I'm sh- sharing this casually because I think God's kind of chuckling with us as well. <laughs> but back th- back then, it's a serious deal that he was jealous, you know? God is a jealous God. All my attention, all my life purpose and everything was at a completely wrong place. And I don't know what your idol was, you know? It could be K-pop stars, or it could be money, career, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that could be. I mean, as we came to know the Lord, as we came to the calling of salvation, there were certain things that we had to be free from. There were certain things that we had to really give up as a lifestyle. And I hope that you guys have some things that you really had to walk through. Was it easy? No, it wasn't. It wasn't easy. Sounds silly, but it's never easy. And Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus about this that you got to walk it out. Like receiving Christ is wonderful. Yeah, you guys coming out of the Greek culture and going into the Christian culture that's good, but you got to really take the steps to walk it out. Cuz back then in the church of Ephesus, I believe the temples still there, but they used to worship this Greek goddess called Artemis and then uh, I think it's the one of the seven wonders of ancient world or something, the temple is huge. So they were really deeply into worshiping all these idols. And then they were very big on, um, yeah, like all the sexual immorality that went into it. And it was a huge challenge for the new believers, you know. They're just new converts. And Apostle Paul is in prison and writing to them, you got to leave, you gotta, you got to walk it out, you know. You don't just confess that Jesus is the Lord, but you got to walk it out. You know, live a life that's worthy of the calling that you already received. He already made us holy. He already made us righteous. He already made us into his children. And there's no room for striving. But what we got to do is we got to live in a manner walk in the manner that is worthy of who we already are. Are you guys following me? Yeah. I'm very thankful that that gospel, that salvation also came with this amazing gift called grace. That without this gift of grace, we would try but well, we wouldn't succeed, but it came as a package. When salvation came to you, when the gospel entered into your heart, it came like a set, set menu. It came like a package that there's salvation, and also there's the empowering grace that entered your life so that you can, you can live a life that's worthy of the gospel. So I wanna let everyone know in this room that it's, it's possible. And you are able. You receive that empowerment that comes with the free gift of grace. Grace is upon you already. Amen? Amen? So match your daily life to your position, who you are in Christ. And sometimes I know even our leaders will empathize with me, will understand. But we just have those days we don't live like Christians. You guys agree? Have you ever had those days that... You act like you don't have Holy Spirit inside of you. I've had those days. (laughs) Even recently, um, like a couple weeks ago, I was um, dealing with, like, I'm I'm moving to a new house. But back then, I was trying to find a new house, and I told my current landlord that I was going to move out soon. And then she called me, uh, like, a couple days later, telling me that my current house is, like, already rented out so she pretty much told me to move out like before I planned on moving out and obviously that puts me in a like a homeless status right so I was like that's not gonna work that's not gonna happen but she was just pushing me and pretty much she was kicking me out right and then that's illegal by the way for foreigners, if you ever face the situation. But I was so upset. And she started yelling at me. She's a, she's a really old grandma, like 70-something. And she started yelling at me. And I started raising my voice. And I started yelling back. And then she got louder. And I got louder. And then we started having like all this big old fight over the phone. I'm fighting with like 75 years old grandma on the phone. And afterwards, I, I hung up on her, actually. I, I hung up. And I, got, I was so upset. Like, some, some people were in the office. Like, Eunice was there. Pastor John was there. And they were silent. They were like, what is going on? <laughs> and I hung up and I was like fuming. I was so angry. But then immediately Holy Spirit convicted me. And he was like, why are you acting like you don't know grace? Why are you acting like you don't even know forgiveness? you acting like you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I immediately got hit with that. Like, conviction, you know? Why am I acting like this? Why am I acting like I don't have peace and joy in my life, you know? And I called her back immediately after. And I said, Grandma, I'm so sorry for yelling at you. That was my wrong, my bad. And then, thankfully, she took my apology, and then we settled everything. And everything worked out, you know, really. After I apologized, I realized that, man, all these moving days and things just worked out. And just God's hand was upon it, you know? But why do we sometimes just forget that he's inside of us and acting like straight-up non-believers, you know? But really, he is in you. He is with you. And we should never—we we, we don't have to live that way. Don't live like someone that doesn't know grace. Don't live like you don't have joy because you do. Don't live like you don't have peace in your heart because you already do have it. Don't live like slaves anymore because you're not. So believing Jesus is the first step, but how you receive the grace and walk it out, that's very, very important. Live a life that's worthy in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you already have received. You guys ready to walk it out? Turn to your neighbor. Tell them that. You got to walk it out. You got to walk it out. got to walk it out. We're going to move on to verse 2. Verse 2, it says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm going to really break it down and then do some word study on it. Humility, the first one. Everyone say humility. Humility Humility is not, this vocabulary is not found in the Latin language or Greek language. And a lot of people believe that uh, Christians, or even perhaps Paul coined this term, humility. Because there was not a concept that could describe what Christian humility really meant. So they had to make up a word, right? So that's humility. And that was, you can imagine that in that society, that concept just didn't exist, you know? And that's the same word that was used to describe Jesus' humility in Philippians chapter 2, 7 to 8. So that's the same word that uh, Paul is charging us to walk in, with all humility, Whenever I think about humility, I think everyone has different like definitions. But the um, dictionary says lowliness in mind. But I'm very unsatisfied with that definition. So I, whenever I think about humility, what comes to my mind is Psalm 84. This is a psalm that David wrote, and you guys are familiar to this verse because we we sing about it often. It, you know the song, a friend of God. You guys know the song. Friend of God says, who, who, who am I that you are mindful of me? You guys know the verse, right? I'm not going to sing it for you. But, <laughs> but that actually, that lyric comes from this verse. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. David knows that God is mindful of him, right? David understands that God cares for him. But he at the same time understands how small and insignificant he is. That's that's how this revelation works. You know, he understands that I'm small before God, but he still cares for me. So, wow, how is it possible? That revelation comes from, like, those two put together. You guys get me? You know? It's like, before God, acknowledging that how big he is, but how small I am, how weak I am, and how strong he is. That contrast really makes these verses really beautiful, right? And... I think that's the type of humility. But like in front of God, that humility is a little easier. But for people, when you're dealing with people, humility is not an easy thing. Lowering yourself to lift up someone else, that's very hard when you are dealing with the people in your daily life. We're going to move on to gentleness. Gentleness, I actually like um, the synonym, meekness. Other translations use meekness in the place of gentleness. Similar thing, but meekness, by definition, it's mild-spirited and self-controlled. Sounds very hippie to me, so I had to kind of look it up. And then the Blue Letter Bible, it's a great tool for like a Greek and Hebrew word study. And it says, it gives us a beautiful article that's written by someone. It says this, meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. It stems from trusting God's goodness and control over the situation. I hope you guys caught the key words. Without resisting, disputing, believing, trusting in God's goodness and His control over the situation. And meekness is not the same word as being passive or being naive. It's not the same thing. It's like you do your part. You got to do your responsibility. You do pray, but sometimes you don't have the control after you pray and you do everything you can do, and you just the control is not in your hand anymore. You guys ever face that situation? All the time, right? And when you don't have control in your hand anymore, you're just trusting him for that battle belongs to him, and that he's going to vindicate you at the end. That's how meekness is played out in our daily life. And when you do that, when you're really laying it down in meekness, you don't panic. You don't wait in anxiety. You wait in peace and joy. Because you gave it to the Almighty God, who is in control and who is good. When you hold on to that, revelation of his goodness that you can trust him fully, you're not going to panic about it. You're not going to get anxious about it. I did my part. God, I prayed. And now I give it to you. And I'm just going to wait in peace. That's how meekness plays out in our lives. For I'm, I'm a strong choleric. Past Christian is also a strong choleric, like goal-oriented. like Easy definition is we're the goal getters uh, we gotta take care of it, we gotta get it done, we gotta go get it. So all these go-getters, how many clerics do I have in the house? Come on. Oh, you're not proud to be a cleric, huh? <laughs> Come on all the go-getters in the house. I know we have a lot in Taiwan. All the cleric people will, will think like with me that it's very difficult at times, cause I wanna do that for myself. And that the danger of not having the meekness in our heart is that you're not giving God any room for Him to intervene. So we say that God, you are my defender, but what do we do? Is we are open our like we are we're so busy trying to defend ourselves and not giving any room for God to be my defender. You guys getting that? Like we say that God, you are my provider, but that we are I'm so busy trying to go get it and provide for myself, that I'm not letting God be my provider. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible, but after that, after you do your part, when things are not in your hand, you just got to trust him for that. That He's going to take care of it, and he's in control, truly in your life. And I think it really uh, manifests when it comes to relationships, friendships that you face. It's very, very hard to trust that he's your vindicator, isn't it? Sometimes you feel like you, 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 you feel you're tempted to explain yourself all the time. You're tempted to really defend yourself all the time. That's why people get defensive all the time, right? But really, do we always have to do that? I think that's one part of uh, Christian discipline that so many people struggle with, and myself included going to share a short testimony of how in 2009 when I first became an intern pastor it was my first year of ministry I didn't know much and then I was one of the younger crowd in the church and I was in charge of organizing this retreat right it was called Niagara retreat and then I was paired up with two other leaders and then us three were supposed to run the entire retreat and organize things and one brother one sister And then us three got together. I'm the youngest one among the three. And back then, we didn't really have the culture of honor, culture of submission, none of that, right? So as we were going, like, they kind of, like, teamed up on me and just didn't show support. And I just really, really struggled with that, right? And I mean... It's all good now. But back then, it was so difficult on me because I, I was doubting, man, Is ministry for me. You know, am I supposed to be doing this? You know, I just only to give up. But then I had to do my best, and I did. I tried to reconcile with them. I did. I, I apologized. I did everything. But then I just couldn't. I didn't have control over their hearts. I cannot get them to like me. Can I? I wish I could, but I can't, right? So at that point, I just had to let it go. God, I did whatever I could do, and the rest is in your hand. I just gave it to you. And I just had to leave it there, right? And a few years later, the brother, brother, (laughs) let's call him. Eastfall, <laughs> okay, no, never mind, it's not, it's not as funny as um, Hillside, I say his name is Eastfall at Hillside, and then everyone kind of, anyways, his, his name is actually Westfall, okay, his name is Westfall, and then he's one of the leaders at Hillside, and he knows that, I, I share this publicly, so I can share, he actually came up to me, he was one of the leaders on the committee, Richard committee, and he sincerely apologized to me. For not supporting me, not showing me submission. I mean, well, I'm really sorry. And then the sister as well came up to me separately later on. And then she also apologized for not honoring my leadership. And I forgot about it, but God didn't forget. And then God moved upon their hearts, and be, he became my vindicator. you know. And then when I received those apologies, I was so blown away. Wow, this is how this works. I give it to the Lord, and he takes care of me. I might forget, but he doesn't, you know? And I really learned to grow in this area that I don't have to always be defensive and be perfect, explain myself. No, I don't have to do that. And in relationships, I know so many of us struggle with it. Sometimes, it's like the biggest pain in life sometimes, really. Relationship is such a huge deal. But I want to just encourage everyone it's okay. It's okay that not everyone in this world likes you. It's okay. The Lord is your vindicator, and you just got to leave it there. Trust him in his goodness that he's in control. And the next word is patience. And the Greek word for this word patience, it literally means long-tempered. You know, we are familiar with the word short-tempered, right? Short-tempered people. Nobody likes that, right? But uh, it literally means patient Having patience means meaning long-tempered people. You know, how many of you like long-tempered people? I would really like to marry one long- long-tempered person. <laughs> not short-tempered, but long-tempered, right? That's a good thing. And have someone having a lot of patience. And uh, it's easy, and it's uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's very very challenging. And I was just. Recently, uh, speaking to a deaconess that is a financial admin at our KM, at our mother church, I was holding a conversation with her. So I've been doing the text forms, so I made some forms for you guys as well. So all these three campuses combined, I'm making about 50 forms. So I got to get it done through KM. It's kind of a long process, but I do it. And I was grumbling a lot about it because people were kind of nagging. If you did that, all right, that's fine. I forgave you. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, oh, I need it by tomorrow morning. Can you get it done for me? Can you fax it over? Can you give me a PDF and all that, all that? You know, can you mail it to me? And all those requests. I mean, I know that's my job, but I was very agitated. I was very annoyed. And I was just grumbling a lot. And then I, I asked her, just a name, like take can they a name, like how many forms do you have to make for the entire mother church? And she says, about about a couple hundred a day. That's what she, what she said, right? Each individual they all work, so they only text forms, so oh, about hundred to two hundred a day. And I said, How do you deal with that? And you know the old people don't even know how to email, so they text her, they call her in the middle of the night, <laughs> like you know, like send it to me right now, kind of thing. You know, how do you deal with all that? All that, right? (laughs) How do you deal with that? And she says, she says this, if I have to do it anyways, I'd rather do it with joy. And I told her this, you are preaching to me right now. (laughs) You're preaching to the pastor, do deaconess, you know? And she said, if I gotta do it anyways, I'd rather do it with joy. And how many things do you guys have to do anyways? Your work? Family stuff? I don't know. How many things that you always, that, the things that stress you out, you gotta do it anyways, right? Some high school kids, homeworks, assignments, team projects. You have to do it, whether you grumble about it or not. We have to do it, right? Why don't we just do it with joy then? You know? And I was like, I was hit by the revelation. Why do I let the stupid text form steal away my joy? You know, if i got to just do it, I'll rather do it with joy. You know, and I just learned from her that day. And I was so much nicer to the people that were requesting. <laughs> hey, sure, sure, I can get it to you by tomorrow morning. God bless you, GBU. <laughs> you know, I was so much nicer. And because I, I just, I learned the power of patience, you know. And why do we let things bother us so much, you know. we can just choose to be long-tempered. be patient. And lastly, it says, to bear with one another in love. To bear with one another. So to bear with, this word, it means endure, and also it has a connotation of like suffering, a little bit of suffering involved in it, right? So showing all of these qualities that we talked about, showing it in a continuous and unconditional manner, that's what it means to bear with one another in love. Are you guys bearing with one another in love well? In church? Good. You guys are bearing with one another? You bear with your husband well? Yeah, good. (laughs) You know, bearing with one another in patience, in meekness, gentleness, you know, in, in humility. That's what Apostle Paul is calling us to live out. That's what it means to live like Christ. It's a challenging word, I know. And for the receivers of this letter, it was such a challenging word as well because in the Greek culture, all these things that we just talked about were not virtues, but they were negative words, negative connotations as in like weakness, like being foolish, being humble, similar. Being meek is being a loser, similar. So he's telling us to be foolish and to be the losers for Christ's sake to love and we're standing here in dilemma you know wow for the sake of obeying these words am i willing to be look like a loser am i willing to appear like a weak one am i really willing to keep up my new york sarcastic jokes i called you out sorry (laughs) You know? New Yorkers are known for the sarcastic jokes, like battle, kind of like. And if you back down, that's like a sign of weakness, you know? You know what I'm saying? But are you willing to drop it first and say something nice back? (laughs) You know? Are we willing to do that in order to obey this word? And meekness is a virtue that's quickly vanishing in this society. Especially Korea. And um, you don't really see it. You don't even hear anyone talking about meekness being the virtue. Isn't it? It's, It's a sign of weakness. You know, I was watching this documentary, quickly sharing that. It's called Hakkyoe Numu. It's a three hours long documentary made by a Korean broadcasting company. And it really features these students, like, wangta cases, bullying cases, like, in classroom violences and stuff like that. That's a huge issue in Korea. And then they were just featuring these cases that were taken to even juvenile courts, these kids in uh, prison, stuff like that. And, um, you know, there's like offender and there's a victim for the bullying cases, right? And it was the show, the documentary was saying how classroom is like a mini society. And the kids there, they see what's going on in the society, they reproduce the same thing in the classroom. And I also come from a background of being bullied severely when I was in middle school. So I know how it works, okay? But it's like, if you show any sign of meekness, all these things that I mentioned, the Bible encourages us to do, humility, gentleness, patience. Oh, you're a loser. Immediately, you're going to be the best target for the bullying. Being meek is being weak. So people look down on you. They start giving you all these chores to do. Like, you get this done for me, my homework. You know, go get a pack of cigarettes for me. Like, it becomes, it, it, turn, it gets turned into an abuse. Showing meekness isn't really showing weakness. And how come the Bible is telling us to be that way? But I'm here to testify, according to the Word of God, that there is a real supernatural power in meekness. It's not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of power that we truly carry. And let me explain why. When we walk in the spirit of gentleness and meekness, there is a true power. Because what really, in, in the documentary, guys, what really stood out to me was the misery. Yeah, the victims go through a lot too. Emotional devastation, they go through mental, even illness, all that stuff. But what really shook me was how much the offenders actually go through after the case is over. The guilt, the amount of guilt that they have to t- deal with. It was incredible. And that the show did a really good job of capturing even the parents, what the parents actually go through, the offenders' parents. I'm not talking about the victims' parents. Because a lot of Korean parents will say, you go, go to school, but don't come home or beat up. I rather want you, I rather have you beat down other kids. You know, that's because how Korean parents are. So don't come home beat down, but then you go, you, you beat them up, right? But then that's how they teach and foster the children, but then when actually they find out that my son abused the classmates, when they actually find out that my son was the bully, like the mental shock that they go through is way more than actually victims' parents. Isn't that really shocking? And even the amount of, like, the the... Stuff that they go through, even the offender kid, it's just way more. It's more lasting impact, lasting devastation. And as I was seeing it, man, even in the natural, meekness does carry power. And if you really think about... If you really think about the most difficult situation you can ever find you ever face is facing death. You guys all agree? Like when someone is facing death, like literally the threat of death, who can stay calm and peaceful and even joyful before the trial of death? Only people that I know is the ones that they get murdered. In the in the face of Death: you know, you never really hear about martyrs that get martyred in panic, screaming and kicking and begging for their lives. I personally don't know of many stories like that, but the martyrdom stories that I know are beautiful. that they gladly give their lives for the sake of the kingdom, they glow. A lot of people testify as they die, they glow with God's glory. They smile. They worship. They lift up their hands in front of a gun. And some people will say, that's foolish. That's foolish. You don't, you don't even see the Jesus that you worship. Like That's foolish. But the Bible tells us the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. In the face of death, people might ridicule. That's straight-up foolishness. But you... Get them to stand in front of the guns. They're going to panic. They're going to fear. They're going to tremble. They're going to scream. But who is stronger in that extreme, even in the situation that could bring death upon you? The ones that are strong are the ones that have meekness in their hearts. There's true strength and supernatural power in the meekness. When you completely trust in his goodness, in his control, and when you are finally able to let go, the immense peace that's going to come into your heart, it's indescribable. And a lot of scholars say that this Greek word for meekness actually is best described by animals on the way to be slaughtered. The animals that are known for their meekness, like sheep, like lamb, like cows, they know, it's sixth sense, they know that they're on the way to be slaughtered. A lot of animals, they just know. It's instinct. But do they fight? Do they go crazy? No. They just follow. That looks like very weak. They can't do anything about it. But there is a perfect demonstration of meekness and the power of it in the Bible. that You find it's by the name of man named Jesus. And how Jesus, when he was taken by all these Roman soldiers, was he not strong enough to fight them back? No, he had more than enough strength. But did he? No, he chose not to. He chose to stay in that spirit of meekness and gentleness. When he was being questioned at the court... Did he not have enough words to describe and defend himself? Was Jesus not able to speak well? I don't think so. He chose not to say. He chose to stay in the place of meekness and the power of it. On the way to the cross, was he not strong enough to resist and fight the cross? No, he was. Definitely was. But he just chose to stay like a lamb carried to the slotting place. He just stayed. The perfect demonstration of the power of meekness is found in Christ Jesus. And the power of it, we have to grab hold of it. So many times we feel like when we choose to demonstrate meekness in our daily lives, at our work, in relationships... We feel like we are losers. You know, I had to say something back. Dang it. I had to come up a little stronger. I should have intimidated the person to have it my way. We always always think about those things. But really, don't you see how powerful it is to stay in the spirit of meekness and really believe that God's going to break through? When the world says we're being foolish, He's saying, no, you are being wise, my son. When the world says, why didn't you say anything back? No, the Bible says you chose the wise way. You did well. That's why the Bible is able to say, when someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. You know, the Bible has its own reasonings why it's able to command us to do that. Today, I just want us to meditate on it. And I know it's a message that takes time for you to chew on. Because I know this society is completely against meekness. The entire world will teach you that if you do that, you are a loser. The entire world will tell you if you choose that, you are being weak. And you're, you're, that's not the way to go. You're being foolish. And I'm sure every single one of you can think of situations, whether in your classroom, whether in your workplace, whether in your family, but I want us to remember that there is power when you choose to remain in that meekness that Jesus showed to you. Let's close our eyes. Let me close with prayer.